Look all around you. The world is not getting safer. In America, it's becoming unrecognizable. Normal is long gone, and the future is a dangerous place. That's why you need a preparedness plan. Not a stockpile of canned soups or boxes of macaroni and cheese, a real preparedness plan. Look, fathers and mothers, grandparents out there, we owe that to the security of our children. And that is why I turn to the good people at My Patriot Supply to help me with preparedness. Their website, preparewithproso.com, carries just about everything you could need for when the store shelves get emptier and our country gets crazier. Their food tastes better and it stays fresh longer, up to 25 years. They carry a whole selection of water purifiers, hospital-quality medical supplies, survival gear, you name it. They have thought of everything. So all you need to do is go to the website. It's preparewithposo.com. Go there today. Time is not on our side, friends. Do this now before it is too late. Take action. Preparewithposo.com. That's preparewithposo.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard today's edition of Human Events Daily, powered by Turning Point USA. Today's top stories. Well, a lot of you have been asking for it, and we finally got one. A shade war update between President Joe Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris. Next, war in Ukraine, a day 15 update. What is actually going on on the ground? Third, we are going to get into this Ukraine biolabs fallout scandal, the entire discussion, what's going on and how it relates to the overall war effort. And then finally, we have to talk about what's going on in China because the Chinese Navy and their Air Force just lost a Y-8 reconnaissance plane in the South China Sea, and they're now trying to recover it from the bottom of the ocean. All this and more ahead, Human Events Daily. So I know it's been a while since we've done one of these, but she is in the news, so we're going to have to get it back. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for a Shade War update between President Biden and Kamala Harris. And this is information, as we've said before, that we have received from a White House staffer, Human Events Daily exclusive. President Biden and Vice President Kamala are not talking. The White House has barely any clue what's happening on the ground. And the only reason they're sending Kamala Harris to Poland is because they don't want to be associated in any way with what's going on in Ukraine and because they know that it's probably not going to go well for the United States. The next line is that so many people in the White House don't trust what the intel agencies are saying or they are just reading Russian and Ukrainian telegram channels and places like Kiev Independent and Nexta on Twitter for information what's going on. And apparently, Vice President Kamala didn't even know about the biolabs until Victoria Nuland's testimony. And we're going to talk about those biolabs coming up right here. Folks, what you're seeing out there is absolute incompetence. This administration, which is run by neurotic millennials, and I've, I've said that from the start, They tried to use a literal West Wing plot to frame Poland for starting World War III. And we talked about this yesterday. We also played for you the actual script of the West Wing episode where, you know, in West Wing it was Taiwan, but here it's Ukraine. This whole thing is spiraling out of control and they're using TV sitcom plot lines to try to get themselves out of it. Meanwhile, people are dying on the ground and they have no idea what they're doing. President Biden doesn't know what he's doing. 
All he's doing, by the way, and we told you this, right? So the inflation numbers are out. They're the highest that we've seen in 40 years. We have those numbers. We've been seeing those numbers completely. The numbers that are coming out, by the way, are for February, before the war started. But what is Biden doing? And what is Jen Psaki doing? Don't worry about that inflation. That's Putin. Don't worry about your gas prices going up. Yep, Putin too. That rent that you can't afford anymore, guess what? Putin. So my son, my three-year-old, uh, soon to be four-year-old, He's a huge Paw Patrol fan, and uh, I have never seen uh, this show before, but he also loves PJ Masks. And in PJ Masks, apparently the main bad guy is this guy named Romeo. Um, I'm getting somewhere with this. Just stick with me. So Romeo is the main bad guy. And then so when the PJ Masks are going around throughout their town or the city or whatever it is, and something happens, they say, oh, it must be Romeo. So my son has picked this up like that as a habit that whenever something's going around and he'll say like, Hey, you know, where's my juice? Then I'll look and I'll see that like his little brother took it or something, but he'll go, oh, maybe it's Romeo doing it. Or like, you know, you're, you're, you're going to go get, you know, pick up your keys and you can't find your keys. And he said, oh, maybe Romeo took the keys. That's literally what Biden is doing right now with Putin and inflation and gas prices. They're lying to you. They know they're lying to you, and you know that they're lying to you, but they're lying to you anyway because it's the only thing they have left at this point. They're using, I guess I'll call it, the Romeo strategy. Maybe Putin's doing it. Maybe Romeo's doing it. This is the type of logic of a three-year-old. That's what's coming out of your White House right now. If there's one thing Joe Biden's good at, it's making us all feel like we need to stock up on guns and ammo. Now, this has caused prices to jump 300% and many law-abiding gun owners to stop training. But thankfully, there's support. There's help. There's iTarget Pro. This revolutionary system allows you to dry fire practice with your actual firearm in the comfort, safety, and privacy of your home. This gives you the ability to train anytime you want. No more inconvenient trips to the range or expensive priced ammunition. Just download iTarget's proprietary app, load the laser bullets into your firearm, your own firearm, and start your training experience. Dry fire training will help develop muscle memory, sharpen target retention speed, sight alignment, trigger function, and more. By the way, guys, I've tried the iTarget Pro. Uh, my dad got one for Christmas. We were playing with it. I was using it. He was using it. Um, my father-in-law was using it and then we're downstairs We're we got stuck because of course we're all competing and then my mom comes down and Tanya comes down my wife and we start they're like what are you guys doing down here we're playing with the eye target and then they go they start shooting it too this is you know you, you if you've got a couple of guys around you got the ladies around it can be a little bit competitive so it actually kind of turns into something that you can do and it's completely safe you're never actually loading real ammunition into the gun. It's all set up. You use your own iPhone. There's a backdrop. There's a whole, uh, go to the website. You go to iTarget Pro. It'll explain it to you. I really, really enjoy this product. So you go to iTargetPro.com right now. And guess what? You want 10% off? You get promo code POSO. So it's iTargetPro, I-T-A-R-G-E-T-Pro.com, iTargetPro.com, and make sure you use promo code POSO. All right, and now for the day 15 update. War in Ukraine launched by Vladimir Putin. What's actually going down on the ground? Things are looking bleak 
for the Ukrainians in the east. Now, if you remember that eastern part of Ukraine, that is where the majority of the Ukrainian armed forces are outside of Donetsk and Luhansk. And I think a lot of people have been talking about this. I think Human Event Daily is one of the first places to call this out. But you're hearing it again. This is the encirclement. It's an encirclement and envelopment strategy. This is different than the Americans fight. And that's why a lot of Western analysts didn't understand what was going on. They're saying, why is Russia moving so slowly? Why are they taking their time? Why are they doing this? Why are they overextending in certain areas? Because it's an envelopment, right? You have to overextend your supply lines to be able to accomplish this. And that's what makes it so hard. But if you achieve your envelopment, then you've got your enemy surrounded on all sides. And they call this a kettling strategy. Uh, This is the same thing that the Germans did to the Russians on this very same terrain about 80 years ago. And a little thing you guys may have heard of called World War II. Well, at this point, it's happening the other way around. Then it's the Russians now. After, of course, in, you know, at the end of the war, by 1944, they had essentially kicked them out of Ukraine area and they were pushing back towards Germany before the final battle of Berlin, which, by the way, the battle of Berlin was also conducted using this encirclement envelopment strategy. Two million men use the tanks as battering rams, send them into Berlin. That was the first lines. That's what was happening. And you're seeing that around Kiev right now. Uh, For those Ukrainian forces in the east, they are right now at extreme you know if they do not punch out if they don't try to break out of this kettle right and that's the next move that you would expect to see because there is essentially a straight shot that they could make and just looking at the map here where you going off of that same map from ism uh, excuse me isw they would be able to get all the way to Diperno in the west, but they would have to make a straight shot and they would have to make it very quickly. You can imagine then that Russian air assets are looking at that very same situation. They're looking for them to do that and make that breakout. But they need to right now because if they don't, they're going to be completely enveloped or they and then if they do, then they face the risk of being completely annihilated or they'll or captured and surrender. And it looks at this point that they're probably not going to surrender. So this is a very dire situation in eastern Ukraine for the eastern Ukrainian uh, armed forces that are there that do face this threat of envelopment. Now, you're also seeing the same situation, but on a smaller scale, in a sense, and a non-military scale, but with more civilians potentially at risk in the city of Mariupol. And so we've seen strikes, we've seen artillery, we've seen bombing, shelling going on as the Russians have now effectively uh, been able to surround Mariupol because, again, on three sides, Mariupol, since it's on the coast, three sides are land, one side is water. So they don't really have to worry about that. And then Russia certainly has sea superiority, which they were able to accomplish very quickly in the early days of this invasion. And so that Sea of Azov, so Mariupol is all the way up tucked in the corner of the Sea of Azov. And so you've got people in there that are totally shut down now. Remember, I just mentioned Sea of Azov. This is the main headquarters, the main base of the Azov Battalion. And the Azov Battalion, are this is, they are this sort of legitimized um, but far-right neo-Nazi battalion. You know, they're the ones that wear the, the black sun. They're the ones, they have a symbol that looks strikingly similar to the SS. Uh, they follow Stepan Bandera, who is uh, a, was a Nazi collaborator back during the war. And someone who fought for you for the Nazis, but on the side of Ukraine, right? And so this is still wrapped up in a lot of these forces. And then after the Civil War broke out in 2014, you had these nationalist battalions being funded by oligarchs like Igor Kolomoisky, 
And then going in uh, past that, they've actually become legitimized almost as part of Ukraine's National Guard. You go look up all this stuff, by the way, you know, um, we're not justifying anything that's going on on either side, but we're explaining what's happening. We're explaining the situation. So you're going to see sheer brutality come out of Mariupol. You're going to see a lot of tactics being used. You're going to see information warfare like you've never seen. You're going to see, of course, we're seeing economic and information warfare worldwide. But that's why I say for everything that comes out of Ukraine, you got to give it the 24-hour rule, maybe even 48 hours, because how much stuff did we hear in the first 24 to 48 hours that was eventually knocked down? So it's the same situation. Remember, we are in the fog of war. Information warfare and psyops are all around us. So let's go to the ISW assessment. Russian encirclement operations continue the encirclement of an assault on Kiev, and they've likely begun, although on a much smaller scale and more ad hoc than had originally been effective. Again, it's very slow. The equivalent of a Russian reinforced brigade reportedly tried to advance towards Kiev through its western outskirts and made progress. Smaller operations continued slowly to consolidate and gradually to extend the encirclement of the southwest of the capital. Russian operations in the eastern approaches to Kiev remain in the lull, likely because Russians are focusing on securing the long lines of supply chain communications running to those outskirts from the Russian bases around Sumai and Cherniv. So what Russia is doing, they're actually linking their operations in Kiev to their Russian operations in the east uh, along the city of Kharkiv. So you're seeing now that long chain. And you know, this is one of the ones I wish I had the map for you guys, but go look on the map, right? And so the way they've, it's almost like they've made that land bridge in the south. It's almost like they're making a land bridge in the north in terms of their military operations. Because if they can link that up, then they've got a direct supply chain line all the way back into Russia. The battle for Kiev is likely to continue to be a drawn out affair unless the Russians decide to launch a more concentrated and coherent attack than they uh, have currently conducted. So again, you're still you're still conducting this um, in the south. Of course, you're also seeing, by the way, these approaches to Odessa. That's what's coming up. So you really have to look at what's happening in the south as well as in the north. These are the two, you know, it was originally three fronts, but we're now seeing the consolidation of this as the invasion grows. And it does seem to be that you're seeing connection between a lot of these operations. So the entire three-pronged front is now almost a two-pronged front where you've got operations in the south and operations in the north, but with that additional ability then of the link up between them. So, and it looks like and you're just looking on the entire map of this, that if they were able to link this, you might even have a situation where all of the lines of effort are linked. And if they do that, they will eventually, number one, obviously encircle the entire eastern half of Ukraine, probably using that Dnieper River, right? They're coming up from Crimea along the Dnieper, and they, if they are able to encircle Kiev, they will come down from the south. They will effectively cut it off from the rest of Ukraine. And they will then have the entire country, the military, and the civilians that remain encircled. We now know, of course, there's been 2 million refugees. I urge everyone to go to caritas.org, caritas, C-A-R-I-T-A-S.org. Go and support them. Do something for the Ukrainian people. Uh, Vice President Pence, former Vice President Pence, is over there on the Polish border meeting with refugees right now. He's with Samaritan's Purse. And look regardless of how, what your feelings are about this situation, you know, we completely oppose war in general, and we certainly uh, oppose this war in particular. But the, th the main thing is that regardless of the politics that are behind it, which we are going to explain, we have to remember the people. 
you have to remember the people that are being caught up in all of this. And so that's why I say go to caritas.org, help the refugees. Two million have come out. But remember, the entire population of Ukraine is about 44 million. Entire population of Russia is 135 million. So yes, Russian obviously enjoys a much larger land advantage and a much larger resource advantage. But in terms of population, the Russian population, it's about three to one when it comes to Ukraine's. Ukraine's very heavily populated and those people are still there and they do still face the brunt of this operation. So we will continue to provide you the direct on the ground updates as this war continues. All right. So if you want to continue supporting us, support the show, and by the way, support a great American patriot, you go to MyPillow.com slash POSO. You use promo code POSO. You get up to 60% off. And look, Mike Lindell, a guy that the establishment has been trying to cancel for years. He's up there. He's on the front lines and he's supporting us. He's supporting so many other people out there. Support our advertisers. If I, I made the pitch yesterday. I'll say it again. If you like what you're hearing, if you like what you're doing, if you like the fact that we're able to give you news and analysis in a way that nobody else is doing, in a way that's cutting through the chatter and the propaganda and the crap that's coming through the mainstream media, go and support our advertisers now more than ever because this is how we keep the lights on. That's how you keep the microphone on. That's how you keep all of this going. All right, we are now gonna get in to this next story because we talked about Victoria Newland and we talked about that testimony, that Shakespearean moment that she had with Marco Rubio, little Marco. What exactly is going on with these bio labs? What do we know? What's true? What's false? Well, here's what we know, right? There was a book that I read all the way back in, in probably the mid-2000s. I know it was after 9-11, probably like 2005, called Biohazard. And this was written by the actual guy who ran the Soviet bioweapons program. So I highly recommend go and read that book, Biohazard. What did he tell us? Well, he talked about how the Soviet Union had originally signed back in the 1970s a bioweapons convention with the United States where they were supposed to get rid of all of their bio programs because these guys, they were coming up with stuff in this program that was so deadly and so pathogenic and so, you know, had the ability to go so viral that, that's where that phrase comes from, by the way, go viral, right? That it had the ability to just wipe out all of civilization as we know it. And they were looking at this stuff and saying, you know what, okay, this is, we've gone too far. And the United States, by the way, and of course for defense's purposes only, was doing the same thing. And they got to a point in the 1970s where the Russians, the Soviets, and the Americans came together and said, all right, we're going to stop doing this. And both sides did destroy these massive stockpiles that they had. But each side decided to keep some for research purposes. Well, it turns out that on the Russian side, on the Soviet side, they lied, as you can imagine, and they kept their program going and kept their program active all the way up into the 1990s. Then the Soviet Union falls apart, and then what happens? Well, places like Ukraine, places like Georgia, Kazakhstan, they didn't have the money to upkeep these facilities. So it's almost kind of like, you remember when um, people have making a lot of a lot of talk lately about how Ukraine had nuclear weapons at one point that gave them up in the 1990s. You know, they never actually had the launch codes for them. The Russians didn't give them the launch codes, but they gave up the nukes, the Soviet nukes back to Russia, but they kept the Soviet bioweapons. And it turns out that they kept the facilities on. And now we're told 
from the U.S. government, and this is your, you know, sort of like high-level explainer, that the U.S. government and other governments decided to come in and fund the upkeep of these facilities in order to study the materials, study the pathogens that have been created in the Soviet bioweapons program, but also to keep them safe. And, and, I mean, and, and when I say safe, I mean, I don't think you guys get, you know, there's reporting from just a couple of years ago, from the mid-2000s, that, I mean, these labs at some points were getting broken into in the city of Odessa and people were stealing things from in them. Like, that's how bad it got. Like, I don't think you quite understand the levels of extreme poverty and the just dilapidated, you know, ability of these structures. I mean, it was a true just, just gangster Eastern European, you know, into the 90s, 2000s, along the, and this is all along the Black Sea, right? Romania, Bulgaria... Um, you know, sorry, but it, that's just how it was. And so it's only been in recent years where they've been able to get the point where they start to build these facilities back up and they were doing so with U.S. money. Well, what's interesting, though, about Victoria Nuland's response to Marco Rubio's question is she didn't say that. She didn't say all the stuff that I just said there. What actually sounds kind of a little bit reasonable, I think, because I'm just giving you the explanation her response was that they do have research facilities and that there are research materials in them that she is very worried that could fall into the hands of the Russians. That doesn't sound like someone who's talking about, you know, a vault, right, or an archive, something deep underground where, you know, hopefully... Um, you know, we can keep these things under lock and key. You know, you don't have to watch the Resident Evil series or, you know, play the video games to understand what happens if, you know, some bad virus comes out. And also, here's the little problem with that is that we just went through the entire Wuhan lab scenario where it turned out that the United States was funding gain-of-function risky research in a shady foreign laboratory using a cutout organization called EcoHealth Alliance. And they were lying about it. And Dr. Anthony Fauci, who's nowhere to be found now, right, vanished off the face of the earth. He went up there with Senator Rand Paul and lied, just straight up lied about funding. He said, we do not fund that completely and absolutely false. And said, but we found the documents and we found the money. And we found the people. And we found the people who work there. And Fauci kept claiming it was false again and again and again. So look, the bottom line is this is everything we know. Is everything I know. We don't know what's going on on the ground in Ukraine. I don't know and neither do you. But we do have our information. We have our analysis. And we don't know what's in that lab. But we now owe it. Our government now owes the entire United States of America and the people of the world, it turns out, a full accounting and explanation of every single pathogen that was in that lab and every experiment that was being run there. Simple as that. Why would it be so hard to do it? And our final story for today, it turns out the Chinese military is searching for a patrol plane that crashed into the South China Sea earlier this month. Taiwan's intelligence agency said on Thursday, becoming the first government in the region to officially confirm several days of speculation. Here's what happened. Is that a Newsweek? The March 1st accident involved a People's Liberation Army Air Force Y-8 anti-submarine warfare aircraft, which was first revealed by a Vietnam-based marine analyst and open-source intelligence reporter Duan Dang in a Sunday issue of his Substack newsletter, South China Sea Brief. 
Chinese authorities had announced a, quote, surprise military exercise from March 4th to 15th in order to conceal the search and rescue efforts within the maritime no-go zone, Dong wrote. In Taipei, a report presented to the legislature by the National Security Bureau linked the area of China's naval drills to the loss of this asset, which it said had crashed into the South China Sea in early March. Taiwan's chief of intelligence, Chen Mintong, declined to disclose further details about the source of its agency's intelligence, but they noticed that China was still actively searching for the lost maritime patrol aircraft and had brought in Navy, Coast Guard, and seabed research vessels as part of this operation which is taking place in the waters between Vietnam and the southern Chinese province of Hainan. So you're seeing Coast Guard ships, you're seeing naval ships. They are on a massive search and rescue operation to find out what is going on in this area. Now, they are right on the corner, by the way, of this nine-dash line. They're right on the area, uh, clearly within Vietnam's economic exclusion zone, the EEZ of Vietnam. And so the question becomes, what exactly was... Now, we know what China was doing. Of course, China was searching for submarines off the coast of Vietnam. And guess whose submarines those probably were? Those were submarines from the United States. But Vietnam has subs too. So you're going to see more and more increased uh, activity, military activity in the South China Sea as tensions rise for a potential invasion scenario of Taiwan. But maybe, just maybe, Vietnam, who is currently, by the way, on a military, at least in a, in a military sense, allied with the United States against China, because Vietnamese hate China, we are going to see more and more military operations. And China, turns around, turns out, is sniffing all over the South China Sea. You're going to see a military exercise turn into an invasion of not only Taiwan, but a militarization of the entire South China Sea. All right, that is all the time we have for today. Human Events Daily. Once again, I remind everyone of our oath, our promise, our solemn vow to you to be good, be brief, be gone. We are doing this entire show in just about 25 minutes every day to give you the highest level analysis, the most action-packed, and the most value-added information. Information, not indoctrination. Human Events Daily. We are giving you the ground truth. What's going on in the war? What's going on in the world? What propaganda narratives are the mainstream media pushing now? But before we go, you've also got your daily homework from me. Share this out with one of your normie friends and leave us your five-star review. And now it's time for today's history break. Today in 1783, the USS Alliance under Captain Barry fought and won the last naval battle of the U.S. Revolutionary War off of Cape Canaveral, Florida. Folks, remember our history. We won our country because we fought for it. Ladies and gentlemen, as always, you have my permission to lay ashore.